0: First Peter. So we are calling your attention back to First Peter, chapter two, and it's going to seem a little strange to you. We're only going to focus on two verses. That's verses eleven and twelve of the second chapter of First Peter. The last time we were together, uh, we dealt with verses four through ten. And I might read that just to lead us into uh, what we're talking about tonight. Reading from the Message version of the Bible. Uh, Welcome to the Living Stone. I'm starting with verse 4. Welcome to the Living Stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Excuse me. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. That's what we talked about last week. And what this deals with was the need for us to experience and to live a life of piety, to live a life that is completely committed to God, recognizing that uh, when we do that, then we are fulfilling our purpose. Our purpose has nothing to do with us. Our purpose has to do with drawing men, women, boys, and girls to Jesus Christ through our living. And uh, Peter emphasizes the need for us to do this on a regular Basis, he he says that we are to present ourselves as living stones, which is actually a play on Peter's own name. If you'll recall, when uh, when in Matthew chapter sixteen, when Jesus uh, asks, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And uh, Jesus says, "Flesh and blood has not revealed this." to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I call you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, you know, Roman Catholics teach that when Jesus says that, he's saying that the church is going to be built on Peter. And uh, Orthodox Roman Catholicism uh, acclaims Peter as the first pope of the Catholic Church. That's not what the scripture says at all uh, Jesus uses two different words. He calls Peter, Peter, his name was Simon. Actually his, his, his official name was Simon bar Jonah, Simon's son of Jonas. But, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus calls him Peter, uh, which speaks of being a small stone. But when he says on this rock, I will build my church, he's speaking of a building stone. And, and, and it's a play on words. He's saying, Peter, you're showing yourself to be rock solid, and, and I'm proud of you. And it's funny he says that to him, because just a few minutes later, he has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Uh, he who hath ears, let him hear. You, you think you know something until you find out that you don't. But um, the, the, the point that he was making is that the church is built not on Peter— but on the confession that Peter made. The, and the confession being the Christ, uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ. That is, that is the, the, the cornerstone, the foundation stone, if you will, upon which the church is built. So when he talks here about stones that the builders have rejected and presenting yourselves as building stones, Peter is making a play on his own name and on the relationship that he had with Jesus. And, and a very simple breakdown of what he is saying is you have to be prepared to present yourself to the world as one who represents Christ. 24-7. What does the kid say? 24-7, 365. You've got to do it every day of the week, all hours of the day. And, and if you don't do that, then you are failing to maximize your potential. Uh, He says that for those who trust in him, he is a building stone upon which your whole life can be built. For those who do not trust in him, then he proves to be a stumbling block for you, because ultimately God gets the glory one way or the other. Now, all of that is what we talked about last week. It leads into what he says in verses 11 and 12, and that's what we want to focus on. Friends. This world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Now, in only two verses, Peter sums up the essence of true spirituality. And what he says here, and and the reason why I wanted to read what we talked about the last time is because it's in contrast to what he says here. Contrast is probably not the right word. It's building upon what he says in in those previous verses. He says that you have to live lives that reflect your Christian character, your Christian commitment. But then in verses 11 and 12, he's telling us, don't expect folk to love you because you live exemplary lives. Don't look for it. Don't think that it's going to happen. Don't bank on it. Because this world is not your home. Now, we need to let that sink in. Because I can't tell you how many times I have heard folk express frustration with God, frustration with other people, frustration with the church, because they do the best that they can to the best of their ability, and then they catch hell after they've done the best that they can. Lord, I'm doing my best. Why are you letting all of this happen to me? How is it that that I can be Giving of myself, all of myself, all the time to help other folk. Who's there to help me? Who's there to support me? Who's there to affirm or reaffirm me? And the answer often is nobody. Nobody is there. And we're frustrated by it and and we're irritated by it and we're angered by it. You've been there for other folk when they were in their moment of distress, their moment of need, and and when it's flipped and now you're the person in need and you look around for somebody to come and see about you and nobody comes, nobody cares. You, you, you do something sacrificial for somebody. And other than a polite thank you, and sometimes you don't even get that, you get nothing. And, 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 and you're left saying, well, you know, I didn't do it for anybody to, to praise me for. But you, you would think that somebody would, would, would show some appreciation. Well, or not, now you've just spoken out of both sides of your mouth. I didn't do it for this. But I'm expecting the very thing that I said I didn't do it for. Well, Peter tells you, do the right thing. Live the right life. Live a godly, holy, exemplary life. And don't expect anybody to praise you for it. Don't even look for it. Friends, this world is not your home. Do you see that? Yeah. It is not your home. So if it is not your home, don't make yourself cozy in it. You ever have somebody come over to your house and, and, and you say, come on in, make yourself at home. You don't mean that when you say that. Because if somebody comes in your house, and really starts making themselves at home taking off shoes putting their feet up on your coffee table going in your refrigerator grabbing food that's making yourself at home grabbing the remote and changing the channel we tell folk make yourself at home But we expect folk to have sense enough to know we really don't mean make yourself at home. Well, when Peter says to his to his readers here, don't get cozy in this world. That's essentially what he he said. Don't tell folk, make yourself at home in a place that's really not their home. This world is not the home of the Christian. We 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 are sojourners. We are passing through. That that, that has been a part of our culture in in, in the African American church for years. Lord, this world is not my home. I'm I'm just a sojourner passing through. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou might hold me with thy powerful hand. We, it, it has been a part of, of what we sing, a part of what we preach, but it is also a part of Scripture. And that's how Peter lifts it up. He doesn't lift it up purely as, as, as a cultural reference or as a cliche. He lifts it up as something that his readers, who were primarily Christians of Jewish background, would understand. The great father of, 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 of Judaism was Abraham. And yet Abraham is famous for doing what? Leaving home. At the age of 75, God comes to Abraham and tells him, gather your wife, gather your household, take all your stuff, leave your father's house. And where am I going, Lord? To a land that I will show you. And even though Abraham dwelled in that land for a period of time there is no record that Abraham ever owned that land in his lifetime neither did his son Isaac neither did his son Jacob neither did Joseph and 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 when Moses years later is called by God to bring Israel out of Egypt to Canaan. Once again, they're pilgrims. And how do they spend the next 40 years? Actually, it's 38. We just rounded up to, to 40. But, but but they spent 38 years wandering in the wilderness, going around in circles. So Peter lifts this up as, as his frame of reference because he knows that it's something out of their history that his Jewish Christian readers would understand. Don't get cozy here. Before there was a temple, what was there? There was a tabernacle. Do you know what a tabernacle is? It's a four-syllable word for a tent. There was no permanent uh, uh, worship place for God. God told Moses while they were on their way from one place to another to to build a tent and and everywhere you lodge, erect the tent, stake out the tent. And in the tent is where we will worship in the tent is where I will meet you in the tent is where uh, you will offer your sacrifices and I will receive them. But when it's time to go, we're going to wrap the tent up and we're going to take the tent with us because this place is not your home. Part of our problem in in understanding the importance of personal uh, discipleship is that we get too comfortable in places that aren't our home. We get too comfortable with things that are not really ours. Everything you have is just on loan to you for a little while. Even the, the, the house, that you, and I know you paying your mortgage or, or some of y'all blessed enough to have your mortgage paid off. God bless you and keep you. But, 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 but the home that you live in ain't really yours. You're just there for a minute. The body that you're in ain't really yours. Before too long that body is not going to be able to sustain you you all, what, what is it we say there's a leak in this old building some of y'all got leaks and leans and cracks and holes because your bodies are beginning to betray you. Funniest thing in the world is see somebody who used to be able to do something, think they can still do it. And then they try to do it and realize that they can't. Oh, I can run to that door. I, I I used to run all day long, yeah, in 1947. Try, try doing it now. Now w- wait till I get the emergency medical team here. So so, so so, that we'll have somebody here to catch you when, when you fall. There's nothing about this world that is ours. Nothing about this world that is ours. Therefore, we should not get cozy in this world. We should not get cozy with the things of this world. You should not expect adulation from people who really don't care about you in the first place. If you're doing the right thing so that somebody can say you did the right thing, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do we stand with Jesus because it's the right thing to do. Not so somebody can say, doesn't Jesus talk about that? Doesn't he say when, when you pray, don't stand out on corners and pray loud, long prayers. So folk will, will will see you pray and talk about how prayerful and how holy you are. But go into your closet and pray in secret. Pray just to your father in heaven, doesn't he say that when you fast, don't 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 let yourself go down, don't don't not bathe and don't not comb your hair and don't not uh, keep yourself well groomed so the folk can say, oh, he's looking all run down. He must be fasting today. What a holy person he is. He said, no, but keep yourself clean up and recognize that the fast is not for the people. The fast is to God and for your benefit. What he's talking about here when he says this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. He's, he is reminding his readers that right living and right choices have their own reward that have nothing to do with the adulation of people, but has to do with your relationship with God. I am not suggesting that you can earn salvation or that you merit salvation. Salvation is a gift that comes from God. But what I am saying is once you have received the salvation from God that he offers through Jesus Christ, your response to the salvation gift that he offers should be a life that's committed to him. And that committed life ought to be enough by itself. And if it's not, it's an indicator that your priorities are out of order. He says, don't make yourselves cozy in this world because it's not your home. Then he says, don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Do you see that? Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. In other words, don't think too much of you to the place that, 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 that you fail to recognize that life is not really about you. Well, how, how do I indulge my ego. You indulge your ego by by trying to show yourself to be more holy than other folk are. There's an entire uh, facet of heretical religion attached to the first century church involved in that. It's called asceticism. Ascetics, and that's that's spelled A-S-C-E-T-I-C-S, ascetics, were a group of people who believed that in order to show their devotion to God they had to go to extraordinary lengths of self-denial in order to show their rejection of the physical and their embracing of the spiritual so let's go back to fasting for a second every now and then people want to fast and 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 that's fine if that's what you want to do. And you and, and if you decide that you're going to fast for a day or for a couple of days, that's fine. Ascetics would fast for a month. No food, no drink for a month. To the point to, to the point that they were almost starving themselves to death. And when you ask them why are they doing it, and they would say it was to show how devoted they were to God. Well, Peter says, that ain't devotion to God. That's crazy. (laughs) Mm. Ascetics would cut themselves, mutilate themselves, and allow themselves to bleed to the point of being near death. And they would scream out the name of God and say that they were doing it to show their devotion to God. And Peter says, that's not devotion. That's craziness. Now, nobody in here, I hope, is going to go 30 days without eating. Nobody in here, I hope is going to cut themselves and allow themselves to bleed to the point that they're near death. So you're saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, that doesn't apply to you. But 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 there are other ways that, that, that we try to show how holy we are, how pious we are, that have nothing to do with what God has asked us to do, but have to do with what we think we ought to do to show ourselves to be holy. We make ridiculous uh, commitments that have nothing to do with what the Lord—do you know what the Lord asks of you with regard—let's talk about money for a second. No know that's your favorite topic, right? Well, let's talk about money for just a second. What the Lord asks of you, what the Lord requires of you, especially those of you who who always it's it's funny how y'all love the law when it's thou should not kill and thou should not steal, but y'all don't want the law when it when it says bring your tithe to the Lord. Yeah, I knew I knew I wouldn't get no amens on that. But 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 y'all 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 love the law when it says don't commit adultery and don't covet, but you don't want the law when the law says a tenth belongs to the Lord. But what the Lord requires is one-tenth of what he gives to you to be given back to him. That's what you owe. Everything that you give above that one-tenth is your offering. So, while I'm on this, just let me make this point. You can't tithe three percent, okay? You can give three percent. But you can't tithe because that, that's oxymoronic a tithe is a fixed amount and the fixed amount is 10% so, 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 so you can't say I'm tithing 3% you can't say I'm tithing 5% you can't even say I'm tithing 9% because that's not accurate the, the only time you get to the area of tithing is when it's 10% that's not the point of what I'm talking about but since I was there I just wanted to, to, to make that point but if you watch some of these TV folk, because some of y'all don't keep your channels on nothing but that TV <laughs> craziness, they'll, they'll tell you to go out and borrow money to give to their ministry, to plant a seed and, and watch the Lord multiply Show your faith in the Lord. The bigger your seed, the bigger your faith. And you know, I ain't Peter, but you know what I say to that? That's just pure crazy. That's just pure crazy. I wouldn't do what the Lord didn't ask me to do. And the Lord did not ask you to go out and make a note. So that you could plant a seed in so-and-so's ministry. That's true for here. And that's true for anywhere else. If the Lord gives you something. If the Lord blesses you with something. Then you ought to show your gratitude. For what the Lord has given you by giving a portion of it back. But. The Lord didn't tell you to go to Regions Bank and make a signature loan so that you could plant a seed. And, and, and if you think you're planting the seed and the seed is going to reap you a bountiful harvest, you wait till Regions comes at the end of the month. And Regions is going to want their payment. You might not cut yourself till you bleed. You might not sit there and starve yourself for 30 days. But but some of y'all will do that. There are things that you will do that the Lord did not ask, nor does the Lord require. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's Old Testament. That's, that's Micah. Jesus says the entire law is wrapped up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself that's required that's what the Lord's expectation is so when we do things beyond that that falls into the category where Peter says don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul some of us want to show other folk how holy we are and what you're really doing is putting yourself in a a place of detriment. You're hurting yourself. And you're not showing anybody how holy you are. What you're really showing folk is how silly you are and how little you actually know about the scripture. Now, let me scold you for a second. Don't get up and leave. Well, you might, but uh, just, just let me scold you for a second. We're almost in 2019, y'all about at the point where y'all gonna make your New Year's resolutions about what you're not gonna do and what you're gonna do. Not gonna eat that cake no more. I'm I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do that. I wanna challenge you to make this resolution that you will actually study the Bible that you will actually take the time to read and study the Bible. Read is is good. That's a good place to start. But after you read, you also need to study. And if you don't know the difference between read and study, then your report card probably wasn't too good. There's a difference between reading and studying. Why do you say that? And you're talking to to, to folk who come to church. In fact, we're here in a Bible study setting. So so why, why are you saying that to us? Because I find it striking how many Christian folk don't know what's in your Bible. You don't know. And what you think you know, you don't know. Because you don't take the time to read scripture within its context. You allow people to quote a verse or two to you and put the verse in their context that has nothing to do with the context of the scripture. Do you know that I can make the Bible mean anything I want it to mean? If I take passages out of their context and just lift them up and tie this verse with that verse and yet we allow people to do this for us i am not calling anybody a bad person i'm saying that when it comes to spiritual matters we are unusually lazy we're lazy you think you did something by coming out here tonight and and sitting in here but let me ask you between Sunday and now how many times did you pick up your Bible and if you did God bless you if you but but most y'all didn't (laughs) most of y'all didn't How how much have you actually read? And and what have you read with it in order to help you to understand it? What companion piece did you take with you in order to appropriately apply the scripture to your daily living? Do you own a commentary? And if you don't own one, they're free. All over the internet. You know, when, when when I first started pastoring, and, and I would get on this subject that I'm on right now, I would tell people, "You go and spend money on, on all kinds of hunting books, and you go and spend money on all kinds of decorating magazines." You know, you know how much uh, 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 magazines cost these days? Ladies' Home Journal, eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine, to look at pictures <laughs> for fifteen minutes. And then you're going to throw the magazine down somewhere. But you won't spend money on a good commentary. Well, I don't have to say that anymore because good commentaries are absolutely free. If you have access to the Internet, most of y'all got it on your phone. Y'all spend time on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat and all this other. But you won't spend time actually studying the scripture. So I challenge you, know the scripture so that when some fool gets on the air and tells you to go plant a seed by going and borrowing money, you can say, that's foolishness. They want to catch you in a a moment of desperation. And, 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 And they want to play on your desperation To their benefit. And you let them do it. Partially because you don't know no better. And you don't know any better because you've allowed yourselves to become willfully ignorant. Don't get mad. Just think about what I'm saying. Because I'm not saying it in anger. I'm saying it out of concern. We don't know. And what we think we know, we don't know. We confuse mother wit with Bible. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. That's not Proverbs, that's Jiminy Cricket. This above all to thine own self be true, and then it must follow as the night, the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. That's not Ecclesiastes. That's William Shakespeare. You need to know. And so, as we move into a new year, While you're making resolutions that you're gonna break within three days about what you ain't gonna eat and how much you're gonna exercise, why don't you make a resolution that can actually affect your spiritual lives and say that I'm going to dig deeper into the word of God. I like the message version. It might not be the version for you. Find one that works for you. Don't, don't come and ask me, well, which version is the right one? <laughs> there, there, there is no right one. There's the one that's right for you. If 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 you know how I feel about the if, if you've listened to me more than five minutes, you know how I feel about the King James version. But if that's the one that, that you like and, and and that helps you, stay with that. But make a commitment to studying the Word of God and learning how to apply it. Now, to do that, you got to do more than just read it. you got to actually study it. And to study it, you have to have companion pieces, things that help you put things in its context so that you can get the right interpretation of what the Scripture actually says. Why would you not do that? We, we, we recognize, everybody in here recognizes that the physical part of us is dying by degree, day by day. God willing, we'll all be here a very long time, but all of us at some point going to leave here. Do you know what does not die? Your soul. So while you're worrying about how to keep yourself here physically, You're not doing anything to sustain your spirit, to grow your your spiritual lives to a place where you can render the most effective service that you can to the Lord. That's why you think this world is your home. And that's why you gravitate toward the things of this world, because it's what you know. We, we, we were talking uh, at, at noon uh, from Mark's gospel account, chapter 10, where, where James and John, the, 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 the brothers, come to Jesus and pull him off to the side and says, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you to do. We, we got something we want you to do for us. And Jesus says, what is it that you want me to do? He says, well, you've been talking about this kingdom. When you come into your kingdom, we want one of us to sit on your right hand and one of us to sit on your left. We want to, we want to have special places of honor in your kingdom. And one of the points that we made was the reason why they asked such a question is because their minds were focused on earthly kingdoms. If this is all you know, then this is all you know. They wanted places of honor based upon their understanding of what a kingdom was. And that's why Jesus says, you don't don't even know what you're asking. You don't know what you're talking about. Because the kingdom that I'm talking about is not like anything in this world and 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 i relate that to what i'm saying to you now because we make this world our home is because this is all we know this is all we care about this 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 is what we are exposed to when you leave here tonight some of y'all gonna go and watch tv some of y'all gonna go and start doing your christmas shopping while i'm out let me go ahead and run by the mall You, you you've got these things that you're going to do All of those things are going to be earthbound. Centered on earthbound stuff based upon earthbound understanding. And what I'm suggesting is there's a world out there that's bigger than earthbound stuff. Do you want to know what real joy is? Some folk will tell you real joy is getting. But Jesus says real joy is giving. Capitalism says that real joy is getting all that you can. And Jesus says real joy is learning how to give everything you have away. And not miss it. And not sit there and long for, because I know some folks will give it away and then sit there and watch it as it goes. No, real joy is learning that it ain't yours know-how. And, 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 and that you can use it to help somebody else. The Apostle Paul says real joy is learning how to put other folks' needs ahead of your own. Now, that's radical stuff, and that 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 if that doesn't sit well with your spirit, it might be because you think this world is your home. If you think that this is uh, just just uh, somebody uh, speaking metaphorically or allegorically, then you might think that this world is really your home. If your number one concern is maintaining your own personal security and not securing the needs of others, then you might think that this world is your home. And if what I'm saying to you right now sounds crazy, sounds ill-informed, sounds immature, sounds fantastical, and unrealistic, it might be because you think this world is your home. Because I'm telling you, Jesus says some crazy stuff. (laughs) That earthbound folk just don't get. If a man strike you on one cheek, turn to him the other. If a man compels you to walk one mile, walk two. If a man sues you for your coat, give him the coat and your cloak as well. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. If a man would gain his life, he must lose it. In order to be greatest, you must make yourself the least. Jesus says some crazy stuff. It makes no sense to folk who are earthbound. To folk who think that this world is your home. So the very first thing he says is this world is not your home. So do not make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Well, Peter, if, if that's the case, then what should I do? Look at verse 12. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. There are four things I'm going to say to you and then I'm done. I'm done. Number one, our piety, our living for the Lord, can't just be private, but it has to also be public. Jesus says to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men. He says that a light is no good if it's put under a bushel where no one can see it. Peter says, live an exemplary life. What is an exemplary life? A life that other people can learn from, can be drawn to. Therefore, our piety can't be private. Our religion can't be private. We have to live Christ. So, for all you people, and you might not be in here, but there are people who say this. For all you people who say, my, my relationship with God is a personal thing between me and him, you've missed the whole point. You, you have missed the whole In fact, if you are living for Christ, it is anything but a personal matter your responsibility is to live a life that others can learn from so so it is not private it must be public you must stand up and allow yourselves to be counted among the disciples of Jesus Christ and not be ashamed of it. You must sound off and say, I am saved, sanctified, heaven bound and my life reflects it. That's number one. Number two, Our conduct in this world should be praiseworthy conduct. In other words, we can't just live average lives, we have to live outstanding lives. There are two words in the Greek. For the word good. One is agathos, which simply means of good quality. The other is kalos, which means not only good, but also lovely and appealing. It means fine, and it means attractive, and it means winsome. Peter here suggests that we can't just live decent lives. We have to live exemplary lives. What makes a Christian life exemplary? It's a good question. It means that you live it at all times. You never have a moment when, when, when you can take off from being a Christian. Now, here's the key to that. It's got to be in you. Anybody can fake something for a little while. But under certain conditions, the fake wears off. After a certain length of time, the fake wears off. But if it's genuine, you ain't got to worry about the fake wearing off because it, it can't go nowhere. It's in you. I can pretend to be a Christian. And that's what some of us do. We come to church on Sunday morning and, and we know all the songs and and, and and we know when to stand and when to sit and we know how to greet one another and and say things like God's going to bless you and God's favor upon you. We can all fake it. But is it in you? Can you love the Lord when the bottom is falling out of your life? Can you say like Job, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. We have to live lives that are not only good, but we have to live lives that are attractive. And that means that it has to be in us. It has to be a part of us. I'm reminded that when God called Ezekiel and told him to go deal with the exiles by the Kibar River, before he let him go, he put before him a scroll, And the scroll was filled with writing. The the, the prophet says that there was writing on the front side of the scroll. There was writing on the back side of the scroll. And God says to Ezekiel, eat this scroll. He does not say read it. He does not say put it under your arm and carry it with you and tote it. He does not say memorize it. He says, eat it. Eating something makes it a part of you. When you eat something, you are making whatever it is that you're putting in your body a part of you. The moment it hits your mouth, your mouth starts to break whatever it is down into you you chew and you swallow and, and 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 your digestive juices grab a hold of it and it takes all the things that it needs from it and makes it a part of you and then excretes what's no longer necessary but all of it becomes a part of you God says that's that, that's the way the word needs to be it doesn't need to be a show It doesn't need to be lines that I remember or phrases that I'm familiar with. It needs to be a part of you. And when it's a part of you, it's transformative. Ezekiel says something else that that, that seems like a, a, a contrast when he talks about this. He says, when I looked at what was written on the scroll, it was lamentation, it was mourning, and it was woe. That means that it was all bad stuff. If you don't know what lamentation is, bad stuff. Mourning, bad stuff. Woe, bad stuff. Everything that was written, he said, was, 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 was only lamentation and mourning and woe. Now That's bad. But he says, when I put it in my mouth and ate it, It tasted as sweet as honey. Now, what kind of sense does that make? If everything on it is bad, but when I took it in and consumed it, it tasted like honey, sweet, delicious, satisfying. What is it that God was saying to Ezekiel? He was saying that no matter what it is, if it comes from me, it's good. It might not look good. It might not feel good. But if it's from me, ultimately it is good for you. All things work together for the good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Somebody under the sound of my voice is going through pure hell right now. You're dealing with trial and tribulation. Your life is lamentation and mourning and woe. And you're trying to push all that stuff off. And I am encouraging you. Don't push it off. Take it in. Take it in. Eat it. Make it a part of you. And watch God transform what others meant for evil into your triumph. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. No, ma'am. And I'm talking about me. You, you're talking about me too. You're talking about me too. And and and, and you're right. Yes. Yes. Of course you do. And at least you're honest enough to admit it. Yes. You're absolutely right. Jesus says in in Mark chapter 10, again, a passage that we lifted up uh, earlier today. Yes, ma'am. But you want it your way. Yes. No. Your will is never the best will unless it lines up with his. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and He's stretched out on the ground. And the scripture says that sweat like drops of blood are pouring off of his brow. And he says, if it be possible, let this pass from me, me. let let this suffering pass from me. What he's really saying is, I don't need to die. I ain't done nothing wrong. Yes. But But you have to let the process work itself out. I I I know. I know. Living a praiseworthy life, third thing, and, and, I'm, and the fourth thing, and I'm done. Third thing, living a praiseworthy life doesn't mean that you're going to get praised for it. I said that earlier. But it's important for you to recognize that. Quit looking for folks to pat you on the back. Quit expecting it. You want to, do, 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 do you want a key to, to living a more contented life? Yeah. Yeah, Pastor, tell me, you ain't saying nothing, so I'll tell you. Yeah, t- t- tell me, what, what's the key in living a more contented life? Stop expecting so much from folk. Much, much of your disappointment stems from the fact that you expect way more from folk than folk can give you. If you lower your expectations, and I mean low, I mean If you lower your expectations of folk, it's hard for folk to disappoint you (laughs) if your expectations are down there. See all this, I never thought so-and-so would have done, that's because your expectations were too high. But, but, But if you get them expectations down real low, You can deal with it. Number four. In eternity. That's what we're all striving toward. Eternity. God will be praised. For the very deeds for which we may now be persecuted. I want you to hear that again. In eternity, God will be praised for the very things that now serve as sources of our persecution. Persecution. We represent the body of Christ. We represent the church. And when we stand up for Christ, the world is going to persecute us for that. But every time the world persecutes us, God is glorified. And if you would just remember that it's not about you. It's about him. And you ought to find a level of contentment in that. I'm over my time. There might be somebody here tonight who have to have him in a part of this Bible. So we want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. We're going to sing a verse of just as I am. And if there's one, we invite you to come.